there are a lot of kids who want to surf, but I can't bring that many boards and I can't afford to buy like 200 boards either. So I just bring back whatever I can get. Like if my friends have like half broken boards, I'll tell them to connect it and I'll take it back. So we have a bunch of like half broken boards back home, but I mean, the kids from the village enjoy it and they started surfing a lot, even when I'm not there and they started getting really good. Yeah. And then Sea Games happened. So we hosted like this competition where all the kids from the village were invited. We try to get girls too. So when Sea Games happened, we were like, okay, I don't want to just compete. Like there probably are other women too in the country. We just kind of had to makeshift a national team together. We hosted a national championships at Muisang, where we're like the winner of this competition will be selected to go to training camp for the Sea Games. So there was a women's league and a men's league. And in the women's league, it was me and four girls from the village and two more girls who were my age, who were from the city, who have served once or twice before. And so I like the women's league wasn't that many people and the girls from their village have never served before. So I was like, okay, like then I'm going to the Sea Games. And we couldn't find any other women who would go to the Sea Games. So it was me and five boys. <laughs> my voice where I like I was the older person so I was competing I was like I was helping you know I was finding apartments for them I was figuring out who's gonna feed them like I called my friend from LA like hey like we have a national team but we don't have money to hire a coach so like do you want to be our coach so he flew over from LA Um, it was me like my friend and five kids boys from the village and my friend Carl and we all just we went on an adventure together a seven month training program before the sea games so that's that's like the journey hello everyone my name is din long and welcome to the podcast lifeline in this podcast i will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. And please do subscribe to Lifeline on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or any platform that you are using. And also you can share this episode with your friends if you like it. It's really what helps me the most. In today's episode, you will meet Naida So, who is a surfer who led Myanmar's first ever surfing delegation at the Southeast Asia Games in the Philippines in 2019. As her surfing journey built her confidence and created so many opportunities for her, she believes that surfing can help the youth connect with the power of action and she co-founded the Surfing Association of Myanmar to fulfill this mission. She dreams to build a professional surfing ecosystem in Myanmar through which the youth can learn the values of hard work, develop their resilience, connect with the nature, get exposed to new opportunities and become professional athletes. She shares how she organized the first surfing trainings in Myanmar, how she can identify the best surfing spots with Google Earth, how she collected half-broken surfing boards from all around the world to bring to Myanmar, and how she prepared the national surfing team for the Sea Games. Enjoy this two-hour episode and hope that you can start your own surfing journey super soon. Okay, cool. So happy to have you, Nida. Hello. Hi, Nida. Hi, happy to have you too. Oh, sorry, we're recording, but I never asked you how uh, how you pronounce 
how, your name? Like, oh yeah, yeah. So how do your friends call you? It's uh, so the international version is Dinh Long. Okay. But the Vietnamese version is Long. Long, I see. Yes. And is uh, Long uncomfortable? Like, yeah, yeah, Long. long? Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can call me DL or. <laughs> but but it's funny. Usually, Long is like it's how it's how my parents call me and uh, and, and Vietnamese people, and mm. it always felt more. How to say? It feels more intimate. Yeah. You know, like when people call me long because they feel like it's like our family circle or, you know, it's so it's always funny when non-Vietnamese people call me long. <laughs> <laughs> long it is. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, no, so, so happy again. Uh, so I always start, you know, I, I introduce a bit the backstory of why you are here and then how we know each other. So we just met. <laughs> 18 minutes ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, it's Tuan from episode 17 who connected me with you. And basically, how it started is, yeah, I, I, so, yeah, I always say that, but I, 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 I yeah, me, I always love exploring sports, social impact. And, and Tuan saw uh, the episode with Ashrin, uh, the basketball player, and he was like, oh, you should interview Nida. I was like, okay, <laughs> and that's how uh, it happened. So yeah, I'm super happy to welcome you here. And yeah, maybe just to kickstart, would you like to introduce a bit about yourself, where you are, what do you do these days, or just, you know, anything that you want to share just to start? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Long. Uh, super nice to meet you too. And I'm super excited to talk about stuff today. Uh, so... My name is Naida, and what I do is going to be a little bit all over the place, all over the place. Uh, I guess you, um, our mutual connection knew me through my work. Um, so I work at a, a tech startup called BB. Um, it's a Singapore, uh, it's a startup in, based in Singapore, but a lot of us, um, a lot of us are from Myanmar, and we do a lot of like civic, we do a lot of work in the space, like the civic technology space. And also we try to um, do a lot of data trainings to help people understand data more. Um, so that's my work. And I work remotely. So now I'm based in Bangkok. Um, and I met Tuan through a training called uh, Mekong Data Journalism Fellowship, where I also work as a data mentor, um, and that's where I met Tuan. We were working on reporting on climate issues in the Mekong. So that's my official uh, job. Uh, and my other job, uh, n not a job that, that pays me, but my, my hobby is surfing. Um, so in 2016, um, when I went back home to Myanmar, um, I had learned how to surf when I was in uh, university in California. And I ended up, like, I rented a room in a house and the, the, my, all my housemates were from the surf team. It ended up being, so at first I didn't surf because it was really difficult. And 
I was a big, I was an athlete when I was young. I would say that was my identity, not my main identity when I was young. So I was really just, you know, like could not figure out why I couldn't do this thing. It was so difficult. Um, I couldn't do it. I was like really beating myself down. And then one day my friend was just like, you just got to keep trying and you're going to get it. Um, so anyway, long story short, I started surfing. I came back. Um, we didn't really have surfing in Myanmar at that time. Or like I didn't really see anyone on the beach surfing or knew anyone who surfed. Um, so I went to uh, this beach that my, me and my family always uh, visit. Um, and I took my surfboard back home and I went to surf. And I met a lot of kids in the water who were part of a sailing program. But the sailing program was also doing some social impact stuff in, in Mwesa, um, my um, home beach. Um, yeah, and I was like, they, they really liked it. So I left my surfboard. I went back to college, came back, bought more surfboards, um, met more people who were interested in, you know, building up a program around surfing. Um, I also really like that it's like it helps kids become more aware of the environment. Um, so, yeah, so uh, 2019, um, we, through a friend of a friend, uh, someone from the Philippines contacted me and they're like, we are hosting the SEA Games and we want to include surfing. And if four countries sign, we can include it. So we became a signet, like we were like, okay, first we need to form a national surf team. So, um, uh, so I met some people who were running like kite surfing programs, windsurfing programs before, and they helped uh, me set up an, an official association. So we set it up uh, because the only water sports in the country at that time, the only official recognized water sports was sailing. We were recognized under sailing and we were able to go to the sea games. So that was my first like jump from, okay, like I can do a lot more because uh, I can see that the kids, like the kids love it. Um, we have a lot of good people in the region who are very willing to help us as well. And when we went to the Sea Games, like uh, we were able to take, you know, five kids um, from the village, and to them it was like a huge, whole new world. You know, they like it gave them. I don't know if this sounds super cheesy, but <laughs> like one of them said that, like you know, like now he doesn't feel so lost anymore. So then I was, I started realizing, okay, like maybe there's something here, and I. And it's, it's good. It's a good thing that's happening. So I want to keep doing it. Um, and even though I want to be, I would like to be doing more right now. Uh, it's too bad that I, uh, I, I can't be home. <laughs> so uh, some of the plans for my, uh, for my surfing endeavors uh, are um, paused for a couple months now. So we're hoping to, I'm hoping to start again um, for the next surf season. So in Southeast Asia, we don't have waves anymore in the in the when like in the dry season. And the season will start again in the wet season. So yeah, so that's surfing. Uh, <laughs> I guess right now uh, in my life, it'd be data and surfing would be the two things that I am trying to um, commit a lot of time to. Well, I have so many questions already. <laughs> um, no, but it's interesting. Like, I 
know, data surfing might, might <laughs> seem so far away from each other. So I wonder, is, is, how, how do, you, do you bring them together sometimes? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, in a very strange way. But uh, so, so there's data that, but my background is in very similar to Twan's actually. That's how we started, ended up talking a lot. Um, so I, uh, my, my, I got a degree in uh, geo design, which is working with like maps, making maps, uh, geographic data, basically. So there's like mm. n- numerical data and then there's geographic data, which is working with maps, right? And in surfing, how I've been using it is if I go on Google Earth Pro, uh, Myanmar is quite undiscovered in terms of surfing because we have a long coast, but because we don't have a very good infrastructure, it's not like California where you can drive up and down the road and find surf spots and like jump in the water and surf. It's like mountains and no roads, dirt roads. So I wanted to find um, where it like, Where's the most likely place? Where are the most likely places in Myanmar that might have waves, and then kind of pinpoint it, and then have a direction, you know? So uh, I would use like Google Earth, and then you can actually see when uh, when there's a uh, there's this thing called ocean bathymetry, which is like the how the floor is underwater, and you can tell by how the floor is underwater where most of the waves can be. Um, if you want to easily see it, you can zoom in on Google Earth and you can see like little, if you see little white foams in the water, there's a higher probability that, you know, a wave is breaking there. So yeah, so uh, hopefully I can follow my Myanmar wish list, you know, Myanmar surf trip plan soon. Um, but for now, I'm just looking at it through a computer. <laughs> It's so interesting. Yeah. So, so, So like so the knowledge you got from your studies or your, you know, your professional skills, you apply it via Google Earth to find surfing spots in Myanmar. Did you find uh, like good ones? I mean, did you potentially good ones? Yeah. So <laughs> this actually happened recently in my life that like I got super excited about, but I really, uh, anyway, now it's my chance to share. Um, So when I got to Bangkok, I met a, um, comp- a, a stand-up paddleboard company, um, Starboard, that were they wanted to they were doing climate. Um, so they want to be a zero carbon company, and the way they offset their carbon is through by planting mangroves in Myanmar. So I met these people, and. We got talking about surfing and they were like, yeah, like we bet like there's a lot of waves in Myanmar. Uh, we want to do our social impact there. And I, and I told them like, yeah, you should check out this spot that, you know, I've been looking at on Google Earth like about four different months. And I think there's like this, this, this there's going to be a wave here. Uh, it's a lagoon in the south of Myanmar. And they're like, oh, we've been there. Like we went there and there was a wave. So we're going to set up a water. We have like, we really want to set up a water sports center there. Um, like we're, we were like, the, they were supposed to start doing the plan this year. Um, and as you know, you know, like things happen politically and they had to put a halt on it too. And I was like, what? No way. Like, <laughs> so it was, I was right. Like there was a wave. Yeah, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that spot, like the name of the beach and everything. And, 
So I thought I, I, I thought of that as like, well, the stars are aligning, like, you know, like things are bad, but I have to, I can see that there are also good things that can happen in the future. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I was super excited about that. Um, that, yeah, my, my mapping abilities were just all in my head, in my head. <laughs> it's really something I never, ever thought about in my life doing, I mean, what you just said. So I, I find it so, it's a mix of mind blowing, eye opening, you know, all this you stuff. So? <laughs> well, it's really cool. Um, and so yeah, you know, back to your super nice intro. I have, I, I, oh my God, so many things <laughs> I, I want to say, uh, but I found it interesting that, I mean, that you know you meant you mentioned yeah surfing is your hobby but you still end up in the southeast asia games i think for me that's um interesting you know interesting mm-hmm. sentence but i mean i can understand and we'll come back to that and but one thing i want to as well is you mentioned that you would define yourself as an athlete uh, when you were young so mm-hmm. maybe Look, how, why, why were you so sporty when you were young? Like what happened? I mean, is it your parents you know, who pursue or is it your, like, your personality? Um, my parents wasn't, didn't really push me, but they weren't against it either. Um, I think it had a, lot, a little to do with my personality. Um, also a lot to do with, so I guess like, personality right if we talk about that uh i vividly remember um i used uh like when i was in around like middle school where i had to move to a new school and um i had gotten a scholarship to go to a private school in myanmar in like it's like like you know prestigious or whatever (laughs) and um (laughs) And I was, I joined the basketball team, uh, you know, and, and we don't get to do like uh, only private schools had, you know, like extracurricular, seriously extracurricular activities like that. So I joined the basketball team and I like, I was really bad. I sucked. Um, and I vividly remember like they put me in at the end of the game. And then like, I basically, we lost because I scored my own basket. <laughs> <laughs> how, can, how can you do that? <laughs> It was middle. I don't even know if the rules are right, but I remember we lost because I scored my own basket because I was like, yeah. Anyway, that felt horrible. <laughs> um, that was awful for a six, like for a thirteen-year-old, you know, at a new school. Uh, so that summer, I like basically just attached the hoops at the side of my house and just like I was, I was so emotionally traumatized. <laughs> And I became really good um, for a seven. Like so, the next year I just became really good, and it it was a. I think at that time it was a safe space for me, um, where like I live across the street from my house. Where if I don't want to be home, I, I usually spend like all day and all night in the gym, and I would just go back at like night. You know, I would, like be friends with the security guards and be like, Hey, like I look, I live nearby. Just like, let me, let me be in the gym. Uh, 
so yeah so I think as I got older I became better at it and it was nice for a like a young person to be good at something you know and it helped me like it helped with my confidence it helped with it helped keep my studies up because you can't do sports if you have a C like we had a bunch of rules at the at the mm. school so it helped me like not go down like not be with the wrong type I don't you know like as a, as a child it helped me a lot and I was good at it um, and I was competitive I was good at it so I started playing for my city like uh, I guess amateur leagues in my city around uh, when I was around 16 and then my last year of high school um, it was the sea games again in 2013 and since I was playing in the amateur leagues, um, they recruited a bunch of us to go to Naypyidaw, which is like the city, and to go to a camp, like a gold camp there uh, for tryouts. Um, but if I were to do that, I, wouldn't, I would have to postpone university because I was already in my last year of, uh, of high school and uh, like everyone wants you to go to the U.S. <laughs> if, you're, you know, if you went to a private school. Uh, so... So I went to Navidad. Um, it wasn't that great of an experience. They, they, I felt like you know, uh, they were looked down on their own athletes. I felt like that. Like, why is my country not treating us well when they have the facility? Why are they putting us in a one big room and everyone has to sleep with mosquito nets? And they, you know, and I, I, I didn't. I was very. Uh, it was unfortunate. Because like I knew other women who only had basketball, basketball. They had gone through the public system, the public school system. They went through the Ministry of Sports, and this is their life, and they don't get treated so well. And I got, I was like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Like, so instead of postponing college, I decided not to complete the tryouts and didn't do get to do the Sea Games in 2013. Yeah. So, but before. Till that point, I think I was, I would consider myself an athlete because I would be at practice at like five in the morning for a school sports team. And then after school, I would go to my city, like the gym for my city mm. team. And I would do the practice there. And then it would be like eight at night and I would like do my schoolwork and then do it all over again. And I never found it tiring. <laughs> I found it quite fun. I think I found it quite fulfilling. Um, yeah, so that was like before I had I went to school in the US. <laughs> I find it so interesting, so interesting the moment, um, you know, because you know, like I think most of people had childhood trauma. So you mentioned <laughs> when you scored your own own basket, but you know, I, I mean, usually childhood trauma they stay childhood trauma because then you are traumatized. You don't want to play ever again. <laughs> so I don't know what made you saying that okay i'll put a basket in my house and then I, i'll just practice to be the best like you know because i don't think i didn't hear a lot of stories especially as you, yeah. you're very young that you would you know people will be traumatized and okay i do something else but what made you is it yeah i know are you are you are you like this or like <laughs> <laughs> i think yes yeah, partly my personality i spend a lot of time I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I spend a lot of time in my head. Um, and I like it where like something is so immersive that I, 
don't like my my brain is still you know and I think even now when I'm a little bit more grown up I still try to find like if something is makes my me still I like it <laughs> so I, and when I was young that thing became uh, sports um, mm. yeah so I was very I, I remember being very fidgety uh, uh, yeah I wasn't a, I wasn't like I wasn't a great student but I did well. I did, I did okay. I wasn't like studious. I like, always in the books, but sports like made me very still. Uh, it's very immersive. You know, so you're at that, like if you played for an hour, for that hour, your brain is doing one thing. You know, your brain is, even though you're running around, your brain is doing one thing. And I don't think I realized that at that time. At when I was a teenager, I probably just did it because I enjoyed that feeling. But I think when I took the the older I get, the more I like when I try to understand myself. I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy, <laughs> just mm. being being still, yeah, uh, mentally being still, yeah. And it 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 was basketball because your school had a team, or it could have been any any sport back then. So so at that time. Uh, it was I did all the sports in the school for all the seasons so there was a year where we got the triple crown they, they called it the triple crown because our school had won the 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 city like volleyball championships the basketball championships and the football championships our women's team uh, and I mean like it wasn't a big deal like I mean now it's not a big deal because it was like a, just a school competition you know between schools but at that time Like, you know, it was, it was kind of fun. I mean, I was good at it. So, <laughs> you know, you tend to like things that you're good at. So I ended up spending a lot of time in the gym and just doing sports. Yeah. So I played volleyball. Um, I didn't do this. So I had to pick between volleyball and basketball if I wanted to go to the city level. And I just picked basketball. And in Myanmar, I think um, people don't really care about women's sports. Mm. but I think that's like mm, like very common in Asia so our leagues uh, it it sounds uh, it sounds a bit fancy but I think we was just we were just a lot of uh, we were just a bunch of women who like to play sports <laughs> yeah and not a lot of people watched it either it was just for you know for ourselves yeah you know like So, like basket surfing foot etc you all i mean looks like you always win is it mm-hmm. <laughs> something i mean is it you know do you always want to win i mean is it you know mm-hmm. in your mindset like i want to win the competition or you me you know if i play badminton or anything i want to win i am i'm, I'm, I'm proud of it you know <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah i think i don't, i don't think i'm that Like competitive, of course. If you do sports, like losing is not fun. But I like, uh, I like the physical activity. Like I, I always, I don't even have to consciously think about it for me to, like, fully, you know, give a hundred percent when it comes to physical activity. Um, I like to think of it as a form of art. 
like a movement art, you know, physical movement art. It's almost like a physical movement art where you do it. If you do it more and more and more, you just get so much better at it. And you didn't even know that your body could do it. So, Mm -hmm. um, so like building on that, when I found surfing, it was like, like when you have a big wave and you didn't even think like, I never imagined it. like I was in my head. I'm like, how is a tiny person doing this? You know, like how is a human doing this? And it was so cool to me. It was so interesting to me that the human body can do this, that I, I really fell in love with it. Um, yeah. I think it was more about like just doing excelling, like just pushing yourself to the, to the, to the point that you can push yourself. I think that was what drove me. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really strange. <laughs> I just run. So how I win is I was just a lot fitter than everyone. Um, I was just a lot more physically fitter than um, a lot of the women my age, I guess, when I was young. So I wasn't necessarily like so good at football. That's how I went. I just was able to run around the field like, multiple times and be fine. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think the you know the moment you, ha- I mean, had to decide whether okay, I, I try to play basketball professionally or study university. And I found it so interesting, but like the like, you know, wh- while growing up, was it in your, I don't know, what were you know your childhood dreams back then? Was mm-hmm. it more towards sports or towards something else? Yeah. So, uh, so I was really into basketball when I was playing. Um, but like, I think, let's say if I was in a country where they had an established sports system, right? if I grew up, if I went, to, I don't know, like easy example is the US, like in the US, if you went to high school and your high school had a, a sports team, you could go play in college because all the college coaches mm-hmm. would come recruit at the high school, right? And if you wanted to be professional, you could get recruited in college to get to the professional level. And it is a real career. Like people do make a real career out of it in the US. But it was different in Myanmar, where I think every time I was playing basketball, as much as I loved it, every, almost everyone around me kept reminding me, this is just a hobby. You can't really do like You can't really survive off of this, yada, yada, yada. Of course, like my every child's dream is to do something cool. It's just sports is cool, you know? So... I had all this, you know, like uh, a lot of people uh, in in my, uh, I guess, in my parents' circles weren't really a huge fan of pursuing arts or sports. A very typical of Asian families, I think. Um, but but yeah, so I I wanted to be I wanted to play basketball in college because you know the U.S. was so I got. It's the USA, you know, <laughs> when you are in Myanmar, you think you're like, oh, my God, I want to play basketball in the, in the NCAA and everything. Um, but I also understood why all like the, the grownups keep saying you, you have to make like you can't mm-hmm. make a living out of this, like because in our country, this and this and that. So I understood that, too. So I I wanted to pursue sports medicine. Um like I'll do sports and then I'll cure myself <laughs> you know <laughs> that was my that was my 70 year old like perfect world scenario um but so I I still so I did 
pursue a sports medicine degree when I went to college at the beginning. Uh, but I ended up I ended up going to a big university. Um, so it it's, uh, it's in it's in Calif- in LA. Uh, I went to USC, and USC was known to be like very very big in sports in America. Like they were a very famous college for um, athletics. And I, of course, you know I'm five foot nothing, and I try to go to the tryouts, and it doesn't even work that way because the university, like in America, if you're a university that has a really sports good sports team, you get to pick whoever you want in the whole country, and all the athletes are recruited and they're on full scholarships and they're playing for the school. But it's almost like a profession if you get to that level in America, right? If you get to play for a school like USC, so I had. I couldn't play basketball anymore, basically, because I mean I didn't go through the U.S. system. I didn't get recruited. Like you almost never get recruited at tryouts, uh, like um, walk-in tryouts. So basketball was like slowly. I I still played club basketball, but slowly I started getting more hurt. Like the the game was just so much more intense when I when I got to when I got to college. Like. They were so tall. They were like they were girls who were like six two, and you know, after a while, it's just like okay, like I don't want to play this anymore. I keep getting hurt. Like it's not fun, you know. Uh, it's not like when you when like when we we're in school where you had your friends watching and it's like a whole community event. So slowly, I started playing less and less basketball um, and sports medicine too. Um, a lot of what we had to do was like. We had a very big football team, so I part of my major is we had to do practical field work where I had to follow the football team and just like ice them, ice these men, massage these men. I was just like, you know what, this sucks. Like, I don't know if I want to do this. Um, I don't think if, I, I, I didn't, I didn't. I started losing interest. Uh, I was by myself in college. I started, you know, like doing worse and worse at my studies. So, like first year. I started. I, I did really bad in my first year. Couldn't play ball. Like school wasn't going right. Like it was a new city. Um, yeah, so I ended up just like dropping all my classes, and, and I was like, okay, let me see how far I can push until I get to sent back home. Um, and then I just went. Like they told me they would kick me out of school if I didn't have any classes by next week. So I ended. I I came. I just. I really just stumbled across geodesign in school, like this whole mapping stuff and geography and data and environment. Um, I stumbled across this major. It was the second year that the major was created. So it was fairly new, like a very small program. And I was like, I became super interested in it. Um, we were like in a university that's like 50,000 people. I was in the class with three students and one professor. Oh. Um, yeah. So it was like, it was a safe, like it was a, it was a, like a, like a bright light for me at that time. Cause I was about to get sent back home, <laughs> you know, cause the school's like, you're not going to be a student if you're not enrolled in any classes. Um, so yeah. So, so after that I started, uh, I ended up doing a lot of field work. Um, I didn't do sp- any sports anymore for a couple months. And I started, you know, hanging out with friends, just like uh, as a normal college student would, um, doing things that a normal college student would. And then I moved into like, um, in the, I moved into a, a, I rented a room in a house and like my, a lot of my friends were surfers. Um, 
and I just ended up like I didn't have a car so I just ended up going wherever they went and they went to the beach a lot and I would just sit there and it started getting boring because they would surf for hours and hours <laughs> so I yeah so that's how just like my friends taught me how to surf um I, yeah so I started surfing more and more and more after that uh so my last two years the last three years I was in the US I was surfing like almost every day with my with my friend um, do you remember that, your first uh, surfing lesson yeah it wasn't a lesson they weren't so good at like hand holding <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was a lesson that was the first time I like think like I was like okay give me the board I'll try it uh, and I couldn't get past I, like they were able to paddle out to the water and I couldn't figure out how they were doing it I didn't know that you had to dive or like you know like duck dive we call it a duck dive where there's a wave in front of you you like sink your board and you dive through it in order to get past it so I didn't I didn't know any of it so what kept happening was I keep swimming and then there would be a wave like hits me in the <laughs> face I would just be like and I would stand up and I'm on like two feet of water still and I keep going and just keeps getting hit in the face and I can't I can't get past it. So I remember I just sat on the beach and just teared up a little. <laughs> like I'm no longer an athlete anymore, you know. <laughs> But then I think, um, and I kept trying and I had a really bad learning experience where I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that you had to pick the right board. You have to have like a big board to, if you want, if you're beginning to surf. I didn't know that you had to pick smaller waves if you're beginning to surf because I was just following my friends. Um, so my learning curve was really awful. <laughs> But then uh, I wasn't scared to surf bigger waves anymore. So I remember my first like real wave where I was, where I caught the wave and rode it and You know, I could see like it was a uh, like a fairly good sized wave that's like a little bit over my head. Like my first real wave was in 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 Lombok in Indonesia. Um, before that, it was just all struggles. Like I would I would stand up, but it wouldn't have like I didn't you know I didn't feel like I actually rode a full wave and mm. felt the acceleration. Like my my first moment of acceleration was in. Yeah, in Lombok, uh, I think it took me like two years to get there. <laughs> yeah. When you say real wave, like uh, so, it's you say it's a bit higher than than your size. Uh, how, how long do oh. you do you last in the wave? And like, you know, how do you feel? I really don't mm -hmm. know anything. <laughs> yes. So really good surfers will be able to know where the wave is coming from they can place themselves in the right position. And then when the wave breaks, they can just ride, we call it the face of the wave, which is not the white part, but you know, the open, the, the slope part. And they'll be able to like go up and down and turn and stuff. But like, it takes, it takes a while to get there for you to be able to analyze the ocean the minute you get there. And the ocean's always changing. So, so even if it's like, if, if it's, even if it's like, your waist height if you're a really good surfer you'll be able to make the best out of it you know but i was just starting out so the only reason i call it a real wave was because it felt like a real wave to me where mm. i was in the right place at the right time and i was able to take it take the wave from the beginning that it it started 
breaking, we call it. So it breaks and then you like catch it and then you're able to like ride up and down the face, like do like one or two turns. And that was like, oh, like, I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> That's like the next step of acceleration. First, it was just, you know, I had to, I was stressing out if I couldn't paddle through big waves. I was, I couldn't, I didn't know how to duck dive that well. I was just still freaking out in the water where later I became a lot more still. Like I was able to understand, okay, like you can't just like flop around everywhere and catch a wave and ride it. You actually have to be so like, it, it's better if you're more still and you like look at the beach, you look at the waves and then you kind of analyze, okay, like the swell is coming from this direction. Um, I want to be around here and and I should wait here until the wave comes because I know it's going to come. Like that type of mentality shift happened mm. when I was in Lombok. Before that, I was like a flopping chicken in the water. <laughs> like oh, trying to go there, see if there's a wave, like going there, see if there's a wave. And I end up missing a lot. So even if I went out for a two-hour session, I would only catch like four waves. And yeah, that learning curve was quite steep. And I understand why it's so hard for people to get into surfing because uh, one, like the learning curve is a little sleep, steep. And two, if you're, you don't have, have access to the beach and you're, you know, you don't, you only surf a couple of times a year. It's hard to like, it looks cool to watch on the t- film because, you know, they all, everyone films pros, but then when you look at yourself, you're like, wow, that actually looks so awful. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of things in surfing that I learned, um, it's a it's something if you want an activity that you can't keep improving on forever um and you don't want to be bored of like bored of doing the same thing every day uh, surf and and you're close to the beach surfing is definitely something that will keep you healthy and like engaged for a long time i think yeah sorry i rambled on i think i went <laughs> on to topics <laughs> so like what so you were in Indonesia two years after you tried surfing for the first time? It, it was like mm, Yeah, it was like two years after I tried surfing for the first time. Yeah. So you went to Lombok just just to surf or what? Just to surf. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I was really hooked. Um so it also helped me, I think, with my uh I don't want to say mental issues because I don't really like that word with my, you know, personal problems, you know, like emo- emotional, emotional um, things that I had to deal with at that time. It helped me a lot with that. And I think that was when I started using it as a, almost like an escape, but also just because it made me feel good. I started doing more and more of it. Um, So I started going on a lot of surf trips after the first two years. Um, uh, yeah, I became a super frugal college student. I would like save all the money and then like... Would you go would to, go in the US or like uh, in any... Uh, in the US okay. and also in when I come back to Southeast Asia, I would go mm. in Southeast Asia. Most of the time I ended up in Indonesia just because they have waves year round. Um, it's like a pretty safe bet for your surf trip money. <laughs> so I went to this village called Grupuk um, in Lombok. And 
south of Lombok Island in Indonesia. There was nothing there but surfing. There was literally nothing there but surfing. And it was really fun. Like I really enjoyed um, that period where I was going to places in the middle of nowhere <laughs> to surf. Um, the, the waves are... like what, what is... If you surf in California, if you surf in Lombok, do you have different like sensation, different feeling, or is it the? You know, I play badminton, so for me, a badminton court is the same in Indonesia, <laughs> the same as the US. So, like, how are the waves different? Yeah. So, yeah, waves are one thing, and the other thing is the. Uh, so, one in California, the water is super cold. Uh, Pacific Ocean is really cold, so you always have to surf with the wetsuit, right? And the water's a lot murkier, a lot darker. Um, it's a little bit foggier at most times and a little sharkier. <laughs> and we call it sharky, a little sharkier in California, but like it has its own vibes because in, in California, like you get, if you go during sunset or sunrise, you get these crazy colors. Um, the environment's different. The water's different. The waves are different, but, California has big days, small days. We have to worry about sharks a little bit more in California. Um, but even although sharks are not, like, sharks are not the problem. <laughs> uh, but in Grupo, it gets more like, you know, tropical waters, blue water, warm, hot, you get sunburned. Um, uh, the, you, so the spot that I was surfing, it, they, we call it a reef break. So it's not sand at the bottom, it's the corals. Um, and in, you, you can't paddle out to the wave. You have to take a boat out into the ocean. So all these things, right? Like it's the same surfing, but, um, you're at a completely, at two completely different environments. Um, yeah. And in, in LA, after I surf, I want, it's super cold. So I just, you know, want to be cozy in, in the tropics. I surf and then maybe I drink a beer and then I maybe go surf again and, You don't have to wear a shirt. You don't have to wear slippers. <laughs> different, um, different kinds of bliss. <laughs> I would yeah. Say. Yeah. How was, yeah. Um, you know, because you, you used to, like younger, you only, it feels like you only did team sports. So how, how was it to move from, I mean, I guess surfing is individual sport only right mm -hmm. yeah. so how is the transition um uh the the there was definitely a transition where i did not do any physical activity because i was just sad because i wasn't an athlete anymore after when i first got to college um but i think now i i i love that it is a uh, individual sport. Um, and like when I was younger, it wasn't because I picked team sports. It was like, I also did individual sports like badminton and table tennis and basically anything out there I would do. <laughs> But I think the more you grow up, it's harder to find a community to do team sports. So I I really like that um, surfing can still bring you the same type of endorphin boost. Like 
other team sports and you you just keep improving on yourself which i think is a better drive than trying to improve because people are watching mm. does that make sense uh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah like no. a shift i would say it's like a it was like a shift in my you know in my life journey it was like a realization like i like be, of course when i was young i don't think about it too much you know i just do sports but like i do of co- i like the attention and of course part of my drive is i like the attention and i liked it when to i liked it when i won you know um but i've i do realize that part of the drive is from the outside attention um but now it's like it's a lot more um uh, empowering to me to have a drive because i want just because i want to be better and not because of anything mm. else yeah also yeah. what i found interesting is like you know when you mention your home beach or even lombok it's place where you just show up by yourself with your board but then mm. you connect with the whole surfing community i mean i feel like quite easily so For me, it's like it's an individual sport, but at the same time, you have this community yeah. feeling anywhere that you go. I find mm-hmm. it very, like, even if you don't know anyone, if you know, you know, and I don't know if it's, I don't know how, if it's surfing mindset or something. Or... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely partly surfing, I think. Um, it's almost cool in the surfing culture if you're super famous and you don't, act super famous <laughs> uh, and and you know there's like surfing there's the pro surfing which is the wsl and people do worlds world league works up world surf league stuff where you have all the pros but you have the other side of side of surfing which, which is more like culture lifestyle you know hmm. the um hang loose type of you know, people you get a lot of those so yeah like it's exactly like you said It's an individual sport, but if I go back to Lombok, I'll still be friends with the people who surf because they'll never leave the village because they love surfing. It's the same in Bali where like, there's a really famous uh, wave in Bali, Uluwatu. Uh, it's really famous for people who are a little bit more advanced. And, and for people like me, it's like for the days where I'm feeling, you know, like, okay, I can do this. I would go surf there. Um, same there like all the people who are who surf there they surf there every year they don't want to go anywhere they love their home they grew up there they're pros there and you just see them in the water um, like they run the bar right next door so when you go to the bar they're still there every year go, you go back so it became like a little community everywhere for me mm. um, and I found that super cool I, I, uh, I feel like I met a lot of people um, around the world and i was able to also meet you know the different communities that like the, these places had and i wanted it for my own beach uh, i think it's yeah, yeah. I, but yeah. yeah perfect transition because um, i think i like it how surfing itself is a individual sport but surfers make it more like a community and then you added this component where you also made You also added a, a, a big meaning, I mean, a mission behind, the, the, behind your surfing activities because you said, I, I mean, from what I understand, you know, you are really driven to, you know, push the surfing, act, I mean, sport in Myanmar, 
also when you went back to your home beach. Um, but yeah, you mentioned a bit briefly uh, in the beginning, but yeah, could you, so like, yeah, so you come back to Myanmar once in a while, you take, so you take your board with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <be> so annoying. <laughs> yeah, you get used to traveling. <laughs> yeah. We have really fun ways to pack boards. <laughs> so yeah so yeah so you 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 show up in that home beach uh the first time so yeah like then what happens mm. oh yeah so i show up so i i knew that so the only thing that the only link that i had to water sports was i knew people were scared of the water and in, in myanmar it's very taboo like when i was growing up uh mm. if we go to the beach you're parents would tell you don't go in the water you know there's whirlpools you know like oh we heard you know the dead scream at night all these folklore and it's very po- it's actually uh it still exists in the village the coastal villages uh these folklores because people die the people die every year because they can't swim and they don't know what rip currents are and people die every year still just by drowning by the shore um so there's these folklores and I knew that if I went just randomly with no one there, I knew like when I come home, um, my parents are a little bit more protective of me, like if I'm around and uh, like I knew I wouldn't be able to go to where I wanted to go to if I just said, I'm just going to show up at a random beach. So I, um, so anyway, so I, the closest thing to water sports was the sailing, the sailing people. Um, I knew the sailing people had training camps in the beach Um, so I went to a hotel that hosted the sailing, um, the sailing training camps and just, just because I kind of figured, okay, there's probably a lifeguard there. You know, if, if something went wrong, there's probably a lifeguard there, uh, they do water sports, like tr- sailing training camps. So I went to that hotel, took my board, um, just went out surfing, um, c- came back in the water and. Of course, like I, I went with my uncle who was freaking out when I paddled out because he thought I was drowning because I went like, because there was a really strong current and I got pulled. Uh, and so he went to go get the security guard in the security cart in the hotel. <laughs> and like a bunch of people were waving at me uh, from the from the land when I was surfing and I just like waved back. But then they started screaming and I was like, okay, something's wrong. And I went back in and they thought I was drowning. I explained to them, it's fine. The security guard said, you can't go out there by yourself. I'm like, I'm fine. Like I have a surfboard, like waves are not that big. And they're like, no, 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 you can't go. And I met a guy, um, Carl, who still helps me with the surface. So self-surfing stuff. I met him. He was the, he was running. He was the person in charge of the sailing, uh, sailing team at that time. And he was like, Hey, like, do you know how to surf? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, can you tell these people that I'm fine? And he was like, Oh yeah, I see. He, and he ran, they were going to have a sailing camp uh, at that time. And I connected with him there. And he was like, he also knew what surfing was. And he also had, you know, it was like, he never really thought that it would happen. Like he, it, we were able to do it, but we would be able to do it so soon. But um, he was like, he wants to expand other water sports. Um, he wants, he's been doing windsurfing and he was, he, he asked me if I wanted to, you know, do like a surf, like a surf, little small surf camp for the kids. And yeah. And just like organically, we came, we became better friends. Um, 
then when this when when the sea games happened it became a little bit more official where now you know like we have me like now we have to figure out like if we want to have sponsors like uh, this and that but i think at the beginning it happened very organically it was a lot of luck where i was like it would be nice to have a lifeguard on the beach so i ended up going to this um uh uh i ended up staying at this hotel for um for a bit and met the people who were running the sailing camp and with that like um i just left the surfboards i would come back every year whenever i get a break from school and slowly we started getting more and more kids who um we started getting more and more boards too that's like part of the, that was what was i think that was one of the main things as well but, uh there are a lot of kids who want to surf but i can't bring back that many boards and I can't afford to buy like 200 boards either so I just bring back whatever I can get like if my friends have like half broken boards I'll tell them to connect it and I'll take it back so we have a bunch of like like half broken boards back back, back home but I mean the kids from the village enjoy it and they started surfing a lot even when I'm not there and they started getting really good um Yeah, and then Sea Games happened, so we hosted like this competition where all the kids from the village were invited. Um we tried to get like a lot of we tried to get girls too. So when Sea Games happened, we were like, okay, I can't I don't want to just compete like there probably are other women too in the country. We just kind of had to make shift a national team together. <laughs> so we did we hosted a national championships at Muisong where we were like the winner. of this competition will be selected to go to training camp for the sea games. So um there was a women's league and a men's league um and in the women's league it was me and like four four girls from the village and um two more girls who were my age who were from this who were from the city who have served once or twice before. So um i and so i like the women's league wasn't that many people um and the girls from the village have never surfed before so like i mean i was like okay like then i'm going to the sea games um and we couldn't find any other women who would go to the sea games so it was me and five boys <laughs> yeah my voice where i like i was the older person so i was competing i was like uh uh i was helping you know i was finding apartment for them i was figuring out who's going to feed them like i called my friend from la like hey like we have a national team but we we don't have money to hire a coach so like do you want to be our coach so he flew over from la um it was me like my friend and five kids boys from the village and my friend Carl and we all just we went on an adventure together a seven month training program before the sea games so that's that's like the journey before, oh, prior have, to have, 2019 sea games I have, million, I have one million question oh my god it's so we had to make shift a lot of things <laughs> we had to yeah. work with what we had <laughs> um but yeah to 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 come back you you use the word uh luck I think uh-huh. it's you know it's luck that you have proactively looked for I think because mm-hmm. you could either look for lifeguards on Facebook <laughs> on Google you know and never find anything and give up or you just go there and I, I'll see what happens and you know you you decided to do that um Okay, I have a lot of questions. So maybe <laughs> no, no, the C C C game. So because 
Okay, so the sea game, sea game phone call that you mentioned—it's uh-huh. totally unexpected, or like how it's like you totally just, unexpected. Okay, totally unexpected. It was an email. Um, yeah, it was an email. So I, so I think. Okay, let me think. Well, how was the connection made? Yeah, I had a friend who was Filipino who was working in Yango, who I think at that time worked for Unilever, who knew a friend in the Philippines. Um, who knew another, like, who knew a Instagram, like a very famous surfer on Instagram who's Filipino. And this friend who's Filipino, who was in Myanmar, I guess, like, his friend was like, hey, do you know anyone from Myanmar who's a surfer? Like, we're having this. And then he contacted me. And that was so random. So it's and then a, I called... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, it's a, so the influencer... Is linked to the Sea Games. Yeah, so the influencers actually. Uh, his name is Luke Landrigan. Uh, he's actually the like the man, the team manager for the Filipino national surfing team. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So when we went there, like it's also a very small community there. So we met Luke. Like we met all the Filipino surfers, and in the Philippines, I think Luke has made a like a, Luke is working on. Uh, letting surfers have a career out of surfing so he he does like national champion like he does a lot of club he had, they, they have a lot of club surf clubs and they host lots of championships in the country and like the scene is thriving in philippines and they have really good surfers they have really good waves so yeah it it's very um They take it very serious now. They take it like a competitive sport, not like a chill lifestyle. I'm a surfer, cool dude, like cool girl, mm. cool dude. Like they take it very seriously in Philippines now because Luke has made it a point that, you know, if you want to make it as an athlete, you can't like we can't do what surfing. I think surfing used to have a very like chill connotation. You know, like people would they, When you say surfer, you, you see beef, weed, Bob Marley, you know. But now, because surfing is now in the Olympics, surfing is now in the Sea Games, um, in Southeast Asia, they're trying to help um, help people be able to make a career out of surfing. Mm. Like very similar in Myanmar, like people, my, our kids, our boys from the village, they're not so well off. It's the same in the Philippines. And it's like, but like if if these kids get on to get to the Olympics, to them, it's like a dream that, you know, it's like you you either win the red race or you win this. And and I think it's cool that he's allowing kids who grew up in the coastal areas that you live right by the beach, and this is something that you can definitely do and like as a career in your life. I mean, and it's, I think it's good. It keeps you physically healthy. It keeps you um, engaged with the community. Um, and also, like, I haven't met one surfer who, isn't, who doesn't care about the environment. I think you have to be so, like, the ocean is where all this, like, the bad stuff from the land comes out to, right? And, and like, you get to surf in pretty dirty water and you realize that's not okay. And we can't keep going that. Yes. It's selfish because you're doing it so that you can surf in clean water, but 
sure then like then like there's nothing wrong with that people are still doing something good um mm. yeah um the trash problem is because I, like most people who surf go to a lot of beaches and every single beach you go to has a lot of trash and and when you see that every single day you know, you start to get pretty dystopian about the world um you start to see a lot of dead sea animals Um, yeah yeah Yeah, so that's the other good thing that that uh that's the other thing that i want to uh like encourage in in myanmar is that through surfing i hope that people become a little bit more um connected to their uh, home like to the world yeah and and did Where, so I oh my god, <laughs> like, um, is this connection with the ocean? Is it something you had before surfing, or is it something you develop through surfing? It definitely developed through surfing. I was so scared of the ocean before. I mm. like I'm a, I I grew up in Yango, so I had no ocean around me. I was so scared yeah. of the ocean because I grew up with the folklore, you know. Um, mm. But yeah, I was very lucky that as a as a toddler, as like a five years toddler, I was very into swimming. So I did like toddler swimming competitions. <laughs> so I was like, but I'm still scared of open open water. Is different than swimming pool. Like I think, and 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 I think a lot of people in Myanmar haven't gotten over that fear yeah. of open water. Um, Which, which is like it's it's understandable, but also it's such a uh, it's unfortunate because there's so much that you can enjoy in open water, and I wish people were a little bit less um, scared of it, but try to understand it a little more, and you know, <laughs> mm. try to have like rational fears, I guess. Yeah, um, and um, just to come back briefly on the Sea Games, um, so the deal was. We need four delegations, uh-huh. and then it can be a city game official sport. Yep. And your role was to basically they ask you, can you create a delegation of Myanmar? Yep. yep. In like a week, I think. So, how did you feel when you received the email? Were you like, yes, all in, or you were like, I have to think about it? Or... Oh, I so I got the email and I knew my friend Carl who was doing sailing that they go to the Sea Games for the sailing team. Oh, okay. So I asked like, "Hey, uh, we I got this email. I have no clue. Like, I I knew what the Sea Games was, but this is more like administrative stuff. You know, you have to talk to the Ministry of Sports. You have to get officially recognized by the country to be a sports team, um, And you can't just like sign up to the Sea Games and go. It has to be like a like your country has to be like okay, we're sending our national athletes to you. You have to take and it like you go, you get a diplomatic passport basically when you go on these things. So I had a week. I had I knew nothing about the Ministry of Sports and the Ministry of Sports back home is they try, <laughs> they try. But anyway, so. Uh, and so we we were like okay like we only have five days if we want to ha- make a federation 
um, it's going to take like six months, like with all the paperwork, I have to go to the ministry of sports, like show them that I have real people doing this thing. First, explain what the hell surfing is to the ministry of sports. <laughs> so it wasn't going to happen in a week. Um, so I was like, okay, like what's the fastest way? And I was like, we can make surfing be- part of the water sports a bigger like feder- so under a federation you can have different associations so and and applying for association is easier um you can I, I can just say i'm an association that's an arm of the sailing federation um we have the same sort of you know like uh, management and like all the so basically writing on the back of all of their official documents um so that we can be an official national team uh, so that we can give a signature as a country that we, will, we want to take part in it. Um, so that was also something that happened that uh, was a big milestone for us. If we, would, if, we, if we couldn't have done, if we didn't do that, uh, we, if we didn't do that in a week, we wouldn't have been able to go to the SEA Games. Mm. So it was very, I was very thankful that uh, I had people who were also very, um, who really believed that, you know, sports is not something that people just shove to the side. Like there's something very crucial that this can provide to uh, a, a child's development. And, and, and only when you realize that can, like, can you, uh, are you, are you willing to help, you know, go through all this paperwork? Cause no, none of us are getting paid for it. Like, it's all like it's all out of my pocket that's why i need a full-time job <laughs> so yeah so sea games was a it was like i had a day to think about it and i asked my friends uh my 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 the carl who works with me together on this i asked him like should we do this like how, how what resources will we need um and yeah we were like we can do this like we're never going to get this opportunity again we should take it and try to get the paperwork done um and yeah so that was the that was the fast track to fast track from just a just a small cup just like couple kids and couple adults having fun on the beach to like mm. maybe we can do something bigger um yeah so yeah. so yeah then you had so then you manage and then you call your friend in la and then yeah. you went through this seven months training. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we, so when we have, so when we, we decided we we're going to the Sea Games, now we have a national team. Now we're like, okay, what the hell do we do now? <laughs> okay. We're like, we need a coach because I'm not good enough to be a coach, you know? Um, and so we tried, we already, we were, we were, because at that time, uh, we didn't have waves in Yango and, to be able to compete, to, to be able to surf even big waves, like we will need, we have a long way to go. So we were like, we're gonna rate, make mon- make enough money so that we can have a, spend a two month training program in Bali, and like, we can't, we don't have that much money. So we try to hire a coach from Bali, but I think they were charging two hundred dollars a day, which is fair for a you know pro level coach but we didn't have that money. So I was like, okay, I, a lot of my friends from California, they're also amateur surfers where they compete in the regional competitions, but they're not pros. 
but they're they they spend their whole day on the beach. Like some of them are lifeguards, some of them work for you know surfers healing, which is like this um, surfing NGO. So I invited. I was like, "Do you want to come? Uh, like, we'll cover all your living costs and you know uh, food costs. You'll get to live in Bali for two months, but we can't really pay you. Too much. <laughs> like, we can pay you, but we can't pay you so much." And he was like. Um, when do you need me by? And we're like, oh, as soon as possible. When can you come? And he just flew in the next day to Myanmar. <laughs> so from the moment he, he arrived in Myanmar, we had a seven-month training program. We had a month in Myanmar, in Moisang, and then two months in Indonesia. Uh, three, sorry, three months in Indonesia, um, and then two more months in Myanmar, and then two months in the Philippines, right? before the sea games so i had really long hair my whole hair was i was like dark like my hair was all crispy after i came back <laughs> my parents didn't remember me because i've been so so i was so sunburned <laughs> when i come back when i came back home but yeah that was that was the like i think we had a very fast track journey but we we worked we did our best and we worked with what we had and i was actually i'm actually so proud of uh, my team, because one of our boys, he, I'm so proud of my team because they only started surfing three years ago as well. And we were co- competing with people who were surfing for like 20, 10, 20 years. And they were all sponsored by like Bill Mong and, you know, like, like Vans and all the big brands. And we were just <laughs> like kids, you know, me and the kids from the village. And one of the boys actually won two rounds, two heats in the SEA Games. And we only had one board because there was a typhoon on the week of the Sea Games. Where <laughs> so the boys were like, "Hey, like, should we still compete? Like, should we like exit the competition?" Because the waves were like 15 feet, and there was a typhoon at that time. So they halted the competition and to let the typhoon die out. But it didn't die out, so they had to continue the competition. And we were just trying to think like okay how do I not like die let alone win because we were like we were we were we weren't pros you know on on a on a global scale we weren't that big of a pros so I'm very proud of my voice we had we had six boards in total we snapped three we, we competed with three boards four people <laughs> we just snapped the board in half like the first day of the typhoon and it was the only we only had two competition boards and we snapped one and I was like, well, I can't buy another one. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was the SEA Games. It was good fun. We met a lot of cool people. Everyone was so nice to us. They were so helpful. Like, um, And now the boys are also very motivated. Um, uh, yeah, so I had, I had, I had, I was... I had a lot of plans, I think, after SEA Games. Um, I had a lot of plans to go back to the beach and do more competitions in the country. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to do more competitions in the country and also do more competitions at other beaches. Um, it's like with surfing, you just leave a board and it'll pick up by itself because like, it's so fun. And if you're a kid, like you love like, ev- like they love it. Uh, the kids love it. So I wanted to do that. But, you know, February 1st, just screwed with all of us so yeah so up till since then i've been 
just haven't really been able to do much. I haven't I haven't been able to go back there either. Go back to the beach. But hopefully by next monsoon, by next year, uh, April, I I I hope that we can restart the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the yeah. uh, at the Sea Games, like, like how how long is it? Do it's like how many people are there also? Um. So at the Sea Games, we had uh, Sea Games was in December, but we, we wanted uh, so with surfing, every beach is different, right? So the more you practice mm. on the beach, um, the more you know the wave, the better it is. So we spent a month uh, before Sea Games on that beach. And then Sea Games was three weeks long, so two months in the Philippines. Um, and we had the Malaysian team; they're really good. Singapore team; uh, they were good too. Uh, but the best teams were, of course, Indonesia because you know they they compete on the world level. Like all the pros, like all the world pros from around the world go to Indonesia. So Indonesia was really good. Um, Thailand was surprisingly so good. Um, Thailand had a huge fund uh, to for their surfing team. They ha- they have really good backing from the state, uh, and I like I've never been, but apparently Phuket has good waves, and they're able to travel around the world too as a team, uh, fully fun. Like the, the athletes do not have to worry about anything. So Thai- like Thailand was a surprise, uh, but also I was very happy to see that because it's so close to us. Um, mm. um, so yeah. And so Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore, Indonesia, Myanmar, Philippines. That was it. Six countries. Yep. Wow. And um, I mean, so like, okay, maybe I want to come back to the to the training first. I see if it's but like how how you know for for this how how is one day look like of train of high level training. <laughs> To get ready for the Sea Games, <laughs> uh, so we were surfing a lot. Uh, we were surfing a, a lot because we didn't want to make a fool out of ourselves. Because we were still, yeah. So we we would usually have a morning session. So we would wake up around five thirty, stretch um, from six to around nine. We would surf. Um, sometimes we changed the training times depending on the the. The tide of the sea. So there are certain beaches that are better at higher tide and lower tide. So the training hours switch, but usually we surf three times a day. So about like six to seven hours a day, every single day. Um, and you take days off when you get sick. That's about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we just, we just like our coach was like, we, you need to first get to the level where you're comfortable in the water. You don't get scared when the waves are big. So instead of Like we would just surf every single day to to make ourselves more com- comfortable in the water before we can move on to more pro level. Like mm. you know, how do you do your turns? How do you do powerful turns? So first we had like that. Even that step was a big step for us. Um, yeah, and we would every time we would surf, uh, our coach would film us. Like Robbie, he's my friend. <laughs> he would film us, and at night we would rewatch everything. Um, and I think that was the, I never knew that I was doing something wrong until I saw my, saw myself on camera. So we would mm-hmm. just 
we would make it a, we would put in the effort to film. Um, and most of the professional surf teams, they'll have a coach, they'll have a person who just films, they'll have someone in the water who's like trying to tell them like, you know, where the waves are coming from. And the, they have a photographer, they'll have a drone guy or girl. Um, surfing is a lot, con- a lot of, a lot about content as well. So they, most teams have these crews um, and that's how you get sponsors as well when you can mm. capture, you know, that. So we, we, we barely had a coach and our coach was such a champ. He was the manager. He was the photographer. He was the videographer. videographer. He is also like the babysitter and everything. Okay. It was, it was great to have a, a, a good friend who was also very passionate about helping us. Oh, we're hoping that he, he'll, he'll keep helping us too. So mm. yeah, I'm excited. How, how, how would you say lo- your level has improved before, after this training? Oh, a lot. I would say a lot. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would have never imagined myself surfing the waves that I surfed back then like when the typhoon hit i was like i'm not gonna go home (laughs) because it was so big and like one it's big and two when it gets big there the currents get really strong and it's like it's rocky and if you end up in the wrong area at the wrong time and you freak out like the current can pull you into there's like so many factors when it's big and part of it is just fear and overcoming that fear is so difficult. And the more it's funny because the more you're afraid, the more, like, the worse you feel in the water, the more you, you, you feel like you're, you're, you're screwing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so surf, like surfing every single day and every single day kind of numb that fear a little where <laughs> we're just like, okay, okay. Don't think you're going to be fine. Like it's, it's fine. You can go, uh, yeah, so definitely being comfortable in the water is so important. Um, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have titled out in the Sea Games. <laughs> it's a little scary. Yeah. No, I love it because I think the fact that you mentioned how to overcome your fear and your mm-hmm. surfing could all, well, I don't know, but could also be risky, right? I mean, you could actually drown probably. So there is an actual physical risk. Um, but yeah, I really love, I mean, I think it's, you know, you could also apply this to many different things in your life. Like, you know, I don't yeah. know, random, like fear of public speaking or whatever. I know for me, it just, public speaking is a lot harder yeah. than surfing. Just, <laughs> 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 just <laughs> <laughs> you need to do a seven months training yeah. every day, you know, at some point you, I'm sure it's gone. But I think no, no one does that, you know, this seven months public speaking training every day. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So. But no, yeah. I really, really love it. Uh, that you really give, you know, yourself the chance. Uh, what, what, what were your goal to achieve at the Sea Games with you and the four other surfers and then all the team, of course? <laughs> I was hoping to get a bronze and I was, I could have gotten it. That's why I want to keep trying to go to the sea games. That's why I haven't given up. Like I want to keep surfing. Um, I want to, I mean, 
my goal is to win a medal and have my goal is for the kids, like for the boys to win a medal. But the, it ha- the boys have a long way to go just because in Southeast Asia, the, for instance, the, the surfers from the F- Philippines, they started surfing when they were three. They started mm-hmm. surfing in a surf league, a professional league with other surfers who are really good, who are supporting them or teaching them since they were little. Right? And, our, and we just started surfing three years ago. We didn't have anyone at the beach who was teaching us, who was doing anything to us. So we were just trying to be realistic. Like, I wanted them to connect with other surfers. Like, I wanted them to see, like, if you want to be an athlete, like, look at them. Like, they don't drink. They don't smoke. You know, like, they don't, they, they're good people. Um, just because you're a pro, you don't have to be cocky. All these things that I want to show them that I can't really tell them. Like, they have to see themselves because they're 15-year-old boys. And, of course, 15-year-old boys don't want to listen to you know, me telling them stuff about life. <laughs> so from my goal was to win a bronze, which I didn't, which I was a little bit bummed. And I also wanted them to meet other surfers because they don't get to do that a lot um, at all, actually. Not even, they don't get to meet too many surfers. Yeah, and, and I think overall, we, we did pretty well. Um, everyone was impressed everyone was like the filipino team was like we saw you two months ago you weren't surfing like this <laughs> to the kid to the boys yeah and yeah and and i think they they felt good too i think they they had a i think it was a very memorable time for them as well so i wanted i would like to do more but at that time like of course i wanted to do win a bronze but i was going through some <laughs> personal stuff where like my dad passed away the month before the sea games and he was fighting with like cancer all along um so like my and i found out that my dad had cancer it was a month later that i found out that we might when i it was a month later i got the email from philippines about the sea games Mm. and and like it was a difficult choice for me because I was taking care of my dad at the time so I was balancing like staying at the hospital and then going to training and then like coming back for a couple of days going back to training like the good thing was like Bangkok was pretty easy to fly out to Indo and stuff at that time but yeah so for the for the so my dad was sick and then sea games I was in Indonesia doing my training um so right before the sea games I had to fly back home and then my dad passed away and I went back to the Philippines. So it was like, at that time I wasn't grieving. I was doing fine, but I, I, I guess I was, I, I, I assume I was like dealing, I was grieving in my own way at that time. So I don't know. I, I tried my best, but I felt like I could have done better um, almost, mm-hmm. but I try not to be too hard on myself because of the, like, the situation at that time and personally yeah yeah so that was yeah that like that was a that was a that was a interesting year 2019 yeah <laughs> it was very interesting yeah. Yeah. but it's nice i think it's very cool to have this both individual 
you know, objective and ambition. But at the same time, you have yeah. the ambition for your own team, own community. And I really love when you say, you know, they, I mean, well, you say like, uh, look at others. They don't drink, they don't smoke, they work hard. That's why they are here. And they, your team had to work hard as well for seven months, right? To, to, to mm-hmm. be at this level. Uh, so you have this collective ambition and goal as well. I really love it. Um, and and yeah, I mean, for from what I understand, you know what you know when you describe Luca, or, or I think it's Luca, or when the guy from Philippines, yeah, it, it's uh, what you want. Look, yeah, look, look, yeah, it's what you want to do <laughs> in Myanmar, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very yeah, yeah. Sponsor, like I really, we we really need to film, and I think if we can get sponsors we will be able to do more it's unfortunate but you do need money to do stuff even if it's yeah. surfing yeah i need to buy i would like to buy i don't need to but i would like to buy boards like but real boards that's made for learning surfing not you know the half broken boards that we try to scrub together um and yeah i want to um I want to do more competitions in the country. Basically what Luke has done. Uh, so um, talking like I'm always excited to meet people who are <laughs> interested in uh, surfing. So like when I got to Bangkok and I got to meet Starboard um, and I, and they like their project is really cool because they're on this environmental mission to be carbon mm-hmm. negative, like not even net zero carbon negative through um through mangrove re- replantation, but also they also want to, they also have this program that's like a plastic offset program where they like help clean up oceans. Um, very close connection to Myanmar. So I'm hoping like in the future we can get, if not financial, but like more sponsors, like more, uh, even if it's like um, apparels, right? Like wet, like rash guards, like, sunscreen wax whatever like what everything is very helpful to us <laughs> so this year i was hoping like this this 2020 i was i had plans to um film in Muisal and then like send send the clips to my friend to to our coach like who was here to send the clips to california and he was going to help us find uh like sponsors um but there are a lot of, lots of surf brands in California. So mm. I, I was hoping to do that, um, but we didn't end up filming this year. Yeah. But, yeah. I think in the future, um, uh, in the near future, I, I, I would like to do that. How do you, because um, you're coming back to super important topic I think that you mentioned about you know the connection with the ocean and the climate awareness how do you you know try to convey this to the kids who you know attend the surfing training mm-hmm. uh, is it more like activities activities that you do or is it you want them to just realize when they you know when they I, I don't know like uh, how do you how do you manage to do that? Um, 
through activities that not I I I didn't start it, but um, they were when I arrived. The sailing program was already doing Trash Hero, which is collecting mm. trash, uh, keeping the city clean, and like you know, just teaching people that <laughs> trash is having trash everywhere is worse. Uh, no trash is better than trash, but the the problem with that is after you collect the trash, it has to go somewhere and in Myanmar, we have nowhere to send it to. So uh, I think at this point, I, I only participate on in the Trash Hero program. But whenever we surf and then we see a plastic bag, I'm always so happy when the kids like put take the plastic from the ocean and puts it in their pants and then takes it back to the shore. Um, but when you think about it, it's a little bit <laughs> dark because you bring that plastic back in on land, throw it in the trash, and trash goes probably goes to landfill and probably goes back in the ocean, right? So it's good that the boys now, when they see trash in the ocean, they take it back. But I, um, this the reason I want to do more of that is because uh, Starboard, like there's this, the plastic offset program that I was telling you about that's organized by Starboard. What they do is they buy the plastic bag by kilograms. Um, so you get money for the plastic you collect. Mm. And like it, they are trying to find out how they can close the, the, the loop. Um, what we have to do is just collect trash, uh, plastic for them. And it's, they, they have pilot projects uh, in a lot of countries. And I really want to give that a try. Um, yeah, and because uh, I can't, because I haven't lived in Waisal, I haven't been able to do like more community-driven stuff. Um, and I don't know, like I was hoping to be there last, this, this past May, but with everything that's going on, I don't yeah. know, like, yeah, a lot of things that are that I want to do, but I don't know if if or when um, I can do it. But I think like whatever happens, I think I'm going to go back next season. Like, no, whatever happens, like whatever happens, I don't think it's going to be an issue to surf. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully it's not a problem to do the surf and clean up trash. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, but yeah, it's sad to to see that. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a problem because yeah. like with trash, right? Like we ask them, they collect the trash, but then you take it back to the village. But because there's no waste management system in the village, everyone just burns the trash. Like people burn their their uh, most people burn their household trash. So you have all this trash that we collect from the beach. Like, what do you do with it? Like, we just it, there's a dumpster where people collect the trash and dump, dump it. But on that level, you know, like, mm. I don't know what to do anymore because I don't know. <laughs> we don't have a waste, like we don't have a, we don't have a waste management plan as a country, basically. Um, so yeah, we, I, I mean, we still try, but on the trash side, um, there's still things that we have to think about. Yeah. Like, so that it's not just a PR <laughs> stunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we started, we're starting with the, we're, we're starting with helping them being closer to nature by like 
you know, like they, they see fish with plastic inside. So it's a lot, it's, it's, it's easier to explain to them where the plastic goes. Yeah. They just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a problem. It's a problem that when you really sit down and think about it, that needs a solution that, that you alone can't, can probably can't solve. Yeah. In, in Myanmar, I mean, uh, with regards to waste. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you say in Myanmar, but in so many, <laughs> in so many places, yeah, I think in many, in your islands as well as usually no, I mean, in many islands I've been, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the same issue, there's no waste management system, so what can you do mm-hmm. uh, with the trash? Um, no, but it's, I mean, thanks for sharing, you know, a bit your plans, what you want to do. I really love like how you, how like how you let's say how you want to promote surf not only it's not only about surfing it's about developing all these values it's about maybe finding their passion in life it's about caring about the environment it's about getting exposed to a new world it's about inspiring your community so i really and for me it's very i think it's very very cool I think like, I mean, yeah, I guess it's my, I, I guess it's what surfing has given me uh, that I want to share, like through surfing, like I cared more about the environment because through surfing, right? Not intentionally at all, just because I was just so like close to mm. the ocean every day. Um Yeah, overall, like if you're a happy person, you're just nicer to other people as well. <laughs> so it gave me that, like surfing gave me that. Um, so I like, you know, I want to give it to them too. And like, our, uh, it's, it's, it's sad. Like when I really got to know uh, my, my teammates, uh, uh, the kids from the village, like they started working when they were in fourth grade, you know, like they, They quit school in their third grade, started working as a mechanic, fourth grade. Like some people got get like there was one kid, he he gets all the way to eighth grade, but they can't pass the final exam because, you know, they have family problems and whatnot. So none of my kids has made it through high school. Um and it's like And of course, you know, like the motivational quote I hear from my family is like, oh, you have to go to college. You have to can't drop out of school. You have to be, you know, like if you want to make it, you got to be educated. And and when I when I unconsciously also say that to, to them, like, hey, like work hard, you know, like if you get a chance, like try to go back to school. I know it's been a while, but then like one day they were just like, look, like he, he there's like how do you expect us to go back to school? You know, we're, we're having to make money. The educational system is like not the greatest. <laughs> and, and he like the, that, that kid was, he was just like, just like, can you stop telling me to come back to school? Cause mm. like it, like, I don't want to be in that system. I'd rather, if I have to fight to make it anywhere, he was like, I'd rather fight. Like, I'd rather surf and make it somewhere than go through the system and I, I and and and, I, and that made me think a lot because it made me think like I was t- speaking from a position of privilege 
right? And it's not the same life for a lot of people back home. And that made me think a lot, like really hard about like maybe yeah that makes sense like to them surfing is really big good to them surfing is you know if they make it they're the first ones in the country to do it um, mm. on a on a uh, publicly publicly as well so that made me think like on a grander scale uh, i bet they want to make like they want to be somebody in they would rather be somebody in surfing than try to you know go back to school or try to finish yeah. high school yeah so yeah it's it's hard it's hard kids don't have it easy um, a lot of the kids don't have it easy in Myanmar I feel like and it's very difficult for them yeah um, yeah but they're super happy when they surf so <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy <laughs> I can't help them. I, I can't do much, but like if they're happy when they surf, that's cool. Um, I think that, that's it's a good thing to do. It's, the, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to surf if they're happy, if you're happy yeah. when you're surfing. Yeah. And you discovered a new surfing spot. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm excited to go. I really want to go now. Like now that I know for sure that it's there. Yeah. No, but that's cool. I um, maybe to close the surfing <laughs> chapter. Mm-hmm. I, I had the oh, I, well, I was because you mentioned your parents were naturally, you know, too keen on you <laughs> going surfing around. Uh, so I wonder how did you convince them, or was <laughs> uncle going with you? Was was it the the, the deal? Oh, I didn't tell them. I'm going to the beach and they're like what's that I was like oh like it's like something it's like a floaty thing in the water I I don't think they knew what what surfing was until like there were some of the local news started covering me and there's a picture of me surfing a really big wave and then and then they knew but then every time I would come back I would be burnt you know sunburnt and I'm an I'm an only daughter in an Asian family, and usually they want their daughters to be, you know, like for you know, not sunburnt with frisky hair. <laughs> when 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 like especially if you're in your 20s, not the I- most ideal situation for a daughter. <laughs> um, but no, but but like my parents never. I mean, they would express their um, dislike, but they would never. Uh, uh, force me to do like they would always let me do something that I am passionate about um, did it help to have yourself in the news did it help <laughs> oh at that time like I was yeah. dealing with my dad like mm. my dad being really sick so I didn't even <laughs> I I missed the whole thing like I missed the whole uh period where I was in the news because I was in mm. the hospital yeah. with my dad um so- So the, the links that I sent you, I actually Googled myself. And like, it's like, hey, look, there's like some articles. But yeah, there was a period. Um, I, it, I think it would have helped if the momentum kept going. And I, if this year I was able to do more events, you know, like and post about it, I think we, were, we would be able to get more sponsors. Who knows? But because now everything has kind of stopped. Um, 
the PR. I would only want to do PR if I if we can get more resources for our surfing team. Mm. Like, um, I don't really enjoy. Uh, I don't really enjoy um, having to speak to newspapers. <laughs> Too much. Podcasts are better. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasts are so much better because <laughs> in newspaper, paper they have they they have an agenda, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but every uh, okay, I'm sorry. I, every 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 PR is good PR when we're this small. Uh, if if my ultimate goal is for more people to know who we are, so that we can get more resources. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, All PR is good PR, I think. Yeah, for now, for now. Unless it's bad PR, but I don't think we'll ever get bad PR. We're not, we're not bad people. <laughs> Where is the best? I mean, I, I guess it's a question that every surfer like debate on. But what is the best surfing spot in the world for you? Best surfing spot in the world. I think it depends. There are lots of good spots, but there was a day that I like. It was really good conditions at the beach, and there was no one there. So it's in it's all it's a it's a beach called Ladigo in California, and it, to get to that wave, you have to like walk down some uh, stairs and walk for about 20 minutes uh, across a private beach to get there. It's a public it's a public wave, but you have to walk across a private beach, so not a lot of people go there. But yeah, it was, it was like, I would say about like a little bit over my head. It's always I, my favorite waves, waves are the waves that are a little bit big, higher than my head, like not too big, not too small. Sunset, like there's a, we saw a whale and it was just me and my friend, two people. I would say this is the best, uh, it was the best surf session of my life. Mm. Not a fair, not a famous wave at all, but right. It was the right conditions at that, on that day. And there was no one there, which is always the best thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> surfing is getting crowded. Like more people are surfing. More and more people are surfing around the world and beaches are starting to get very, very, very crowded usually. Yeah. In Bali, you have to fight to get away. You really have to be aggressive and fight. And I don't enjoy, <laughs> I don't enjoy that at all. <laughs> is it a trend coming from Olympic Games and Sea Games? Or is there... Mm. Uh, surf influencer <laughs> I don't know yeah I think Olympic Games and Sea Games and also technology drones mm. content marketing GoPro GoPro all that yeah I think all the extreme sports were able to are able to boom like this because of because you, because technology is able to now capture these moments that most people can't experience Hmm. Um, right. yeah. that's so cool um, <laughs> it's interesting okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to discover your life through sports and surfing uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would sports saved my life <laughs> I'm a big fan <laughs> I'm a big fan of sports yeah big sports saved my life and um Yeah, I think, I mean, we, we are approaching towards the end. So there's like a few questions that I always like to, to, to end, end with. Um, but before, maybe I was thinking, we never spoke about 
TB, uh, maybe. Uh, maybe just one one question, so we get the the guest the guest. Yeah, is it a word? But I just wonder, you know, like uh, because I I spoke a bit about about this with Twan since he's attending your training, mm -hmm. and um, we were speaking about flourish flourish yeah. app at some point because it's one of my favorite apps, and I don't do a lot of data visualization, but yeah. I have some data to visualize. And I feel like data visualization is so important. But is that something, I mean, I feel like that's something mainstream in the sense like, uh, <laughs> is that something people will, will be like, oh, I, I, I don't know, I want to learn to, I don't know, well, I, it's a bit random stuff. But yeah, I just wonder, you know, what is... Yeah, why why did you you know did you join TB? What is maybe like what is uh, the problem that TB is trying to solve through data and design? Hmm. Ooh, because TB is a very we're a very unique company because we can uh lot our 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 colleagues are very flexible and very adaptable. So we're able to take on projects that are a range of everything when it comes to tech and, and data. Right? In terms of data visualization, first we got in, um, when I first joined, uh, BB was working on a, a township mapping tool where like we were working on a tool where uh, the township level offices can report crime and stuff through the app and not have to go through the, the paperwork. We were trying, we, we want to make existing systems better with technology, but we realized that in developing countries, you can't, we realized pretty early that you can't, you, you can hire the best develop like dev team in the world. You still might not solve the problem you're able to solve because people are not data literate. Right, you can build a fanciest app to help with like some government, like public system, yeah. Yeah. but nobody might use. Nobody's gonna use it because, like, yeah. I mean, most people in our country think Facebook and Google are interchangeable. Like, like a lot of stuff goes on Facebook. We skipped the whole desktop age. We went straight into mobile. Like everyone now has a phone, but I would say most people don't know how to use a computer. Um, So there were a lot of considerations where we realized not you could spend like you can one that like you can waste time, you can waste money to build a tech product that you hope that will help existing processes become better. But turns out nobody wants to use it. But we believe that it would it is it it can be helpful. So our our um, our our brand is human-centered design which is before we build anything like we try to understand who's who are the users going to be how data literate are they and if we build something we want to make sure that these people can use it right like you build something for the end users if the end users can't use it there's like then you your product basically fails so a lot of the data training that we do is so that we can help people Um, in Myanmar at first, but now like Southeast Asia, become more data literate. Um, so through journal, so one one field is in journalism, where um, 
think the Panama when Panama Papers came out, like there were a lot of data and and, and like understanding that data can uncover a lot of things. Um, so we help. We started working with journalists um, who, and then we met journalists who were who specializes in data journalism. And we specialize in human-centered design, helping people understand complexity. Right? So um, we try to help them tell, tell the story, but also, uh, uh, also turn data into a... Turn complexity into something that people can easily understand. Like, mm. I don't... Like, we believe... Like, sorry, I'm speaking for the whole team, but I, I, I believe that... Like we make like it, things can be so complex, but data visualization can, to the best of its ability, simplify that com- complexity in an in, like in a in a in a couple of seconds. Um, and like as as you know, most most of us don't have an attention span that's important. <laughs> so if you can communicate something important. In like a matter of six seconds, I, I that is that is a I feel like you're 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 contributing a little bit to the world. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I agree. I think no, I think it's great. It's like no weather. Like no, recently, like uh, with COP twenty six. I think we, I, I've, I've never seen so many beautiful data visualization to you know explain about climate crisis and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to the IPCC report, where you know, it's like forty-two page of. Well, I don't know if it's a good example. But it's what I think. <laughs> I think yeah, you know, your, your, I, mean, I feel like your job is okay. How can we mm-hmm. make sure that people get yeah. to see and read IPCC report but um, in a yeah. beautiful way with the key data yep. so I think it's yep. good, uh, yeah interesting. yeah a good a good example that I could give is on like mangrove loss reporting before like if it is in an article it's usually like from 2005 to 2006 like uh, for instance Vietnam lost uh, Vietnam didn't lose mangroves actually Myanmar Myanmar lost 40% of his mangroves, like from 2007 to 2009, it lost 30%. And it's like in a paragraph, right? And you know, when you're reading as a reader, you probably just like, oh, it's bad. And you probably skim through all the numbers. And like at the end of the story in your head, you only know that mangroves are, Myanmar's losing mangroves, but it probably won't, you probably won't think about it anymore. But if you can like, imagine that same information, but on a map where, if you you have a map with air mangroves highlighted in 2000, 1995, let's say, then you have a map with the remaining mangroves in 2020. And if you slide, you can see the change, like how much mm. was lost. And you, like that, I feel like that a good example of simplifying complexity is that where you're not sacrificing any uh, information, but you're translating this mundane uh you know very numerical data into something the point like the to the main point that you're trying to communicate which is look like we're losing a ton of mangrove like that it 
I don't care that you know it's it's 30%, but look, if you were losing a, lot, a ton of mangroves because if you look from 1995 to 2020 in like a two seconds, you can see how much we mm. lost. Yeah. So I, I, like that's a good example, I think, of simplifying complexity, but also not sacrificing accuracy. Sorry. Yeah, always yeah, a fine yeah. line. Yeah, always a fine line. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's super linked to storytelling and I feel like because you mentioned data, data visual, but you, I feel like you need to be super creative as well in order to find the mm-hmm. visualization that people will relate to. Yeah, yeah. Design. I'm I'm really into design now because I'm also I'm also I'm 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 learning in the process as well in in this field. So I'm starting to realize that design is so 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 important. Like colors, mm. everything from font to everything. <laughs> And I, and I get to do it remotely. Yeah. So like now because of COVID, like life is a little uh, different, but um, if life was normal, quote unquote, I can yeah. still um, do work and be by my, by, like, be with my surf team. So yeah. There was a, I was very lucky to stumble across <laughs> uh, to work with DB. It's very fulfilling, yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I have my final three questions for you. Um, first one is, uh, wait, how old are you now? I think 27. I'm, yeah, I'm 27 now. <laughs> I, did, I did a quick calculation because I just <laughs> saw you were, you were 25 at the Sea Games. Yeah, 27 now. <laughs> okay. So, you know, imagine you can go back in time. Um, and let's say you, you you can go back in time and you can meet younger Naida when she's attending the first day of university in uh, California. Uh, what would you tell tell her on that day? No. Oof, I. To be honest with myself, I think, yeah, to be, to be more aware of things and be more honest with myself. Okay. Yeah. Basically accepting that if something bothers you, it, you have to be honest with yourself that it bothers you, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Because you, you were trying like to... Because you were not really honest, like you were like uh, pretending as in, as if things were not bothering you. Or? Yeah, it's just like things was fine, that the world was fine. But then I, when it comes to the environment, I think mm. like when I first started, a lot of my my school was yeah. also we also had to learn a lot of environmental related stuff because I was working with mm. maps, right? Which is geography, GIS data, climate data, weather data. And um, I, it bothered me, but I, ha- I was, I had a kind of a dystopian view, and I was like, oh, who am I to do anything about it? Mm. <laughs> um, like people are gonna ruin this world anyway. Like, who, who am I to do anything about it? Like, I'm fine. Just like when I see, like, just don't go to places with a lot of trash. 
I try to like I try to be as fine as possible. Um, uh, and then, like the more I try to like not like try to you know slither my way around these things that I makes me uncomfortable, I end up actually getting to more places that makes me uncomfortable in terms of you know the trash problem. Mm. Um, water like. Fresh water is a big issue in my home and it bothers, it bothers me. And because it bothers me, I don't like that it bothered me when I was young. And I was just like, um, instead of doing something about it, I kind of sulked and try to put a, you know, try to put a wall around it. Like, but, but now I, um, I think if I was, if I like back to the question, um, I would tell myself like to be honest with myself and okay. you know, if it bothers you do something about it instead of trying to run away from the problems of the mm. world because they're too big for you because it's, it's not, even if it's, even if you can do a small thing, like it's better than, it's better than, you know, uh, closing your eyes and not doing something and mm. pretending like it doesn't exist. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> And, I'm very um, good at that. <laughs> very good at pretending something doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. And um, how do you know? How do you want to? Whether it's a listeners right now or people in the life in general, how do you want people to remember you for and to know you for? <laughs> Oh, that's a hard question. Didn't think about that. Uh, how do you want? How do I want people to remember me for? Hmm. I think a good analogy is a tree. Like, like I want people to remember me like some like a, someone who's like a tree, where you know. I'm, I can stand on myself, strong roots, like, you know, good foundations. And I have shade enough for people that to come, you know, to come hang out. I want to be, I want to be remembered as a tree, like, a, like maybe like a mango tree where I, I can feed myself and also feed more fruits to other people who want to eat it. <laughs> That's, yep, there it is. I want to be remembered like, like, a man, like I'm a mango tree. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. that's cool i hope you add this into your linkedin profile <laughs> cool. when i grow up i want to be a mango tree <laughs> i always i always i always talk about how cool tr trees are and how they've actually figured out the meaning of life because trees don't have to move anywhere like and they can not only support themselves they can spread their genes everywhere yeah. without doing anything and not like and be a good contribution to the to the earth they, yeah. i always thought trees were tree trees have found the secret to life <laughs> it's like jokes it's kind of funny but kind of not like yeah i i my 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 my, my dad always says like uh first make sure you don't turn into a tree that is poisonous to other people Mm. then 
And then you can like, when you make, when you can make sure you're a tree that's not poisonous to other people, you can like focus your energy on trying to grow it to a, you know, like a, a tall, like a resist, like a strong tree. And then only after you become a strong tree, can you actually make some fruit and help other people. So, so I, like, I, I found that analogy. I really like that analogy. Um, and I always think about my life in terms of that cycle where I'm like, okay, if I'm a tree, which stage am I in? Like, am, I <laughs> am I a strong tree? Am I ready to, you know, help other people? <laughs> um, so which, which, which stage am you? I in? I think I'm like, I'm like starting to want to flower, but still now there's a little drought in my life. <laughs> 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 so I have to be very, very strong and <laughs> patient. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a cool, uh, that's yeah. a very cool uh, metaphor. Tuan will like this, like this, Except metaphor, uh, I would say I'm a robusta coffee. Pl- I feel like a robusta <laughs> coffee plant right now because I'm having to be very drought resistant. <laughs> But I wish to be Arabica. <laughs> I wish to be Arabica where I can, you know, like give good coffee to people, not just the, the bad kind. But but right now, I feel like if I was a tree, I'm doing. I was doing fine. I'm a strong tree, but there's a little drought right now. Mm. But we'll be fine. I'll save some water. And then when the rain comes again, I will. Uh, I'll be. We'll be fine. Like I'll be a fine tree. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Tuan Tuan has a reason to listen till the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. And um, how would you describe yourself in three hashtags? In three hashtag. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> It should be easier than the just previous question. <laughs> I guess like ha- it would be it would be hashtag chill. <laughs> I think I'm very chill. <laughs> um, hashtag uh, hard headed. But also hashtag empathetic. Um, I I I back to the honesty question. I, I'm what the, the the older I get the more I accept that I am very, I'm a very empathetic person. And that's why things bother me a lot. Mm. Um, yeah. Cool. <laughs> so you are chill, but uh, ha- oh, wait, how, what was the word you use? <laughs> hard headed. Oh, yeah, like. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, uh, empathetic. Empathetic, cool. Yeah, I think it's interesting um, how. Because I feel like the the fact that you know you you want to accept your empathy and it's part of having your strong roots mm-hmm. in the soil. So, yeah, yeah. cool. Um, and yeah, the, I mean the real uh, final question is, you know, how can How can people, you know, connect with you, and how can people help you? <laughs> I uh, I used to have a social media page, <laughs> but uh, you not anymore. Not anymore. I I uh, I used to have a Facebook 
athlete profile in SEA Games, but like I, I turned it off uh, when stuff started happening in Myanmar. Mm. Um, very recently, actually. Like, but I'm I'm finding the strength to <laughs> come back online again on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram too, but I have, a, I have an Instagram. But the best way is through WhatsApp. Like I, I'm working on, I'm working on being more uh, public about my uh, my endeavors. So I, so yeah, I'll be back online on Instagram on and on Facebook, and I have a LinkedIn profile too, but it's uh, not so active on there. Uh, but the best way for to contact me is through WhatsApp, and yeah, yeah, my number. <laughs> Okay. Yes. yes that's all. <laughs> If anyone wants to contact her, let me know. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but on on I I do check my Instagram too every once in a while. But it's a it's a private page, so um, it's Nida Soul, but with S O U L. But yeah, I I check my Instagram more than my Facebook. Instagram and WhatsApp is the best. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Nida, for your time. Thanks for listening. I feel like I rambled on so much about surfing. I love talking about surfing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because uh, to get to know more about surfing, but also getting to know someone, you, via surfing, it's interesting. Uh, you know, like you don't give up. That uh, you don't do it only for yourself. That you uh, it's a way to, you know, take care of your mental health. You know, this all this kind of thing. I think it's super interesting. Uh, hope that it encourages people to surf. <laughs> Me, okay, I might try again. <laughs> uh, well, Cambodia, I don't know, but maybe in Phuket. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I really love the conversation. So yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, uh, thanks so much, Long. It was uh, good to it was good to speak to you, and also good to connect with people. Uh, I actually found your podcast very inspiring. It's like because oh. coming from a sports, you know, like growing up as a sports, it's like not a lot of people tell the story, and I think those are stories that has like that's good to be told <laughs> in Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Um... I mean, I don't know. For me, it's a lot of cool stories, cool anecdotes. How you ended up in the Sea Games? How you will meet, win a medal at the next Sea Games? <laughs> yeah, I will. My goal is. Still I will vouch for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, and so maybe some, the last thing I want to say is how eventually you close the loop because you said you know basketball, you wanted to play for the Sea Games. Then mm-hmm. yeah, you didn't, but you did. Another sport, where I think it's super beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess it's always been something that I subconsciously wanted in life. You know, is to be uh, to perform at a sports event. So even though I didn't really consciously try to get this as a goal, like try to get to the Sea Games as a surfer as a goal, I def like you said, right? Like a lot of my choices were subconsciously driven by me wanting to my passion for. Um, sports. Right. You're looking for the Olympic Olympics, also. Yeah, I really want to. I I really want. They 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 have wild cards where for the youth Olympics, we may we may have a chance. 
not me, not me, but the, your, the, your, the, the, yeah, your team. The, the, the team. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, always aim high, right? If you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And hopefully yeah, less no. people, people are less scared of the water and more care more about the environment if they end up trying surfing because of me. That's also like my wish, like not just, not just that people want more people surf, but that more people surf and more people care about the environment through that. Thank you so much for your time. Congrats for listening until the end of this episode. Of course, to best support Lifeline, you can share this episode to two of your friends and subscribe to the next episodes on any platform. See you next time.